Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. So we're going to talk about the anointing needs no help. The anointing needs no help. Needs no help from medicine, from doctors, from humans, from flesh. Needs no help from religion. It needs no help from man. The anointing of God needs no help. So uh, we, have, Pastor Shirley and I are going to pray over your purses and wallets and bless them at the end of the service. So before we have the altar call, y'all remind us to do that. And we'll get everything done that we always do at Healing School. Amen? Praise God. <clears throat> so understanding the anointing to heal is important if we're going to do the works that God commanded us to do. We have to understand. And understanding really takes uh, time. It takes patience. It takes prayer. If there are things that we don't understand about God, he said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let, he at, let him ask of God, and I give it liberally and upbraideth not. That means that he won't tell you you're stupid for asking so many questions. See, we can wear humans out, but we can't wear God out, and we can't wear out the anointing. So understanding the anointing is very important. Understanding God is very important. So if we're going to do the works that God's commanded us to do, we have to understand the anointing to heal. We do not heal by our own abilities, either mental or physical. This is a relief because none of us have ever healed anybody before and we couldn't do it if we tried real hard. So we're relieved to find out that when God calls us, he equips us as well. So we need to seek God and seek his equipment because God is his equipment. God goes with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit and under the power of the anointing to do everything that he has called the church to do. In Mark uh, 16, verses 17 and 18, it outlines the work of the church. The church is called to lay hands on the sick and, and to cast out devils and to exhibit certain signs. So Mark 16, 17, and 18 should put you under conviction that there are things and signs that you should demonstrate that indicate that God is working with you. It indicate that you are a believer and believers are servants of God. We're not great people. We're not mighty people. We're not TV personalities. We're not superstars. But we are servants of the Most High God. So as believers, we need to understand how the anointing operates, where it comes from, and how to work with God and his power to affect the ministry that he's left for us to do. Zechariah 4 tells us, verse 6, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So God is not calling us to be mighty and powerful people on our own. It's not by might, and it's not by power. It's not by your intellectual power, how many scriptures you know. It's not by your longevity in the church or in the ministry, how many years you've been here. Even though if you've been here a while, we expect you to have picked something up. 
along the way. But experience in, in being around in itself does not give you the anointing. It does not give you power and it doesn't give you ability. Being connected with a certain church or a certain ministry is not what empowers us. It is God's spirit working on the individual believer, person by person, case by case, that makes the difference. And if you really want to understand God, you will let him work on you as an individual. You have your own relationship with God that is scripturally based. You have a covenant with God that you keep. You know, there's an obedience in that we have to keep so that our covenant can always be in force. And then there's obedience to the commands of God. And the command is for believers to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is a command. It's not an option. And when we do those things, that doesn't make us exceptional people. It doesn't make us wonderful people. We're just doing what we're supposed to do, what we're expected to do. So God expects believers to fulfill what the Bible, what we refer to as the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I get excited about that. When I was first saved and I began to understand God and understand some things about God, and I, I sat down one day and I realized how much God had done to help me. And I was totally undeserving, just like all of you. You know, we're all undeserving. You couldn't pay for what we have in God. What would you pay, you know, to, to earn this? Or what would you do to earn it? There's nothing you can do. So it's a gift of God. And I thought to myself, I would watch people, ministers on television. I said, boy, I'd love to be able to do that. I said, if I could just do that and help somebody. I said, I could, could reach people who are sitting by that television that don't understand God. I said, I would love to do that. Love to do it. And that's the believer's understanding on the inside of each and every one of us that responds to that when we see it. That's the call of God. You can be called of God and and just be responding to a heart cry on the inside of you or responding in gratitude for something that God's done for you and respond to the call of God that way. And so when I realized that God really did, those people started out just like me. I would listen to their testimonies and uh, Pat Robertson had been a, a lawyer and a teacher and he found the Lord and he had been a traditional Christian and all of a sudden he threw a businessman who was spirit filled he got the understanding that God was a powerful God and he wanted to empower him and he wanted him to do some great things for him just through conversation and so this understanding that we have about what we're called to do as believers is transferable by the anointing And it awakens the anointing on the inside of us when we respond to that heart cry that wants to obey God. We want to obey God in all things. You don't want to just obey God in some things. See, religion has already prescribed what things we're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to go to church. You're supposed to dress nice, not cuss, pay your tithes. Huh? And take your family on a vacation. You know, love the pastor, all that kind of good stuff. But what I'm talking about goes far beyond that. It goes, that's something to prepare you for your individual ministry. So when you talk about the healing anointing in the life of a believer, 
You are talking about the fact that you have, as a believer, you've gone beyond. You can see beyond. You at least understand that you're not coming to church twice a week just to sit there and get checked off and not be counted absent for that day. You're coming to learn. You're coming to put, there's something more personal involved here where your spirit is crying out for some food. Your spirit is called crying out from strength. Your spirit is crying out for recognition from God. Your spirit is hungry for something. And then that involves you personally. It goes beyond just showing up and waiting your time out till the service is over, maybe jumping and shouting a couple of times or lifting your hands and worshiping and all that kind of stuff. It goes far beyond that. It goes to what you feel personally on the inside that God wants you to do. Knowing who you are, what you know about God, do you love God, what's he done for you, all of those things. So the believer's ministry goes into a personal, it's a reflection of your personal understanding of who God is. See, when we understand who God is, that has to be demonstrated in some way. This business of of having uh, just between you and God and being a silent witness and that kind of foolishness, that's not right. There's a manifestation of your relationship with God that goes beyond what you, you want for yourself personally. It goes way beyond that. And so that part of you has to respond to God. And that part of you is awakened and enlivened by the anointing of God. So we said Zerubbabel, Zechariah was told, uh, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So the work that we do in ministry must be wrought by God. It's got to be the work of God. It's got to be done under his power. Isaiah 10.27 tells us that yokes are destroyed because of the anointing. Yokes are destroyed by the power of God. What are yokes? Yokes are powers. Those are spiritual powers way beyond our human powers. So really, we can't help God in any way. We need his anointing so that we can get into situations and destroy spiritual powers that connect to situations and connect to people and cause problems for people. So we couldn't help God's anointing even if we tried. There's nothing that we can do in our human knowledge, our human strength, our human experience and expectation that's going to override God's power and his anointing. But you know, boy, people sure try sometimes, don't they? Religion will always try to get you to bypass God's authority and his ability and tap into something that is uniquely you. Nobody's so unique that they can override God and have success in what they're doing. So God has ordained that we lay down who we are so that he can rise up. And in his power, we can do all things. We can do the things and we can do the ministry that he's called us to do. So yokes are destroyed by the Spirit of God. And this is a supernatural work that is done by the Spirit of God or by the anointing. So we're going to look at Jesus, the anointing that was placed upon Jesus, because that's the one that was left for the church. 
And in Luke chapter 4, and this, this plainly describes what the anointing does, the signs that follow the anointing, and what we can expect if we are anointed of God, what we can expect the anointing to want us to do. In Luke 4, 18, we see Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So stop right there. The first anointing that you receive as a believer is an anointing on your words. Your words. The anointing puts God's power on our words. So if our words were powerful already, we wouldn't need God's anointing. If you could persuade somebody to get saved, if you could persuade your kids to clean up their room, huh? you'd be a mighty powerful person. So we all know that our words are basically powerless. Unless, of course, a person chooses to obey them or chooses to believe them, words really can't move people at all. Now, words can inform us of certain things. For instance, if you want to learn how to bake a cake, the words of a recipe can inform you of what to do, but you've got to be wanting to do that. If you just look at that recipe and don't ever get them bowls and and mixers and that kind of stuff out and get that butter and and flour and stuff, you won't get no cake. So words in and of themselves are not normally energized with power except for God's word. God's word is energized with power by his anointing. And that's what makes his word so special. That's what makes his word so different and necessary. And that's what makes you as a believer different than anybody else in the world. Because God's anointing puts power on your words. When you speak, they are not normal words that you speak. Because the anointing causes the volume to go up. It causes conviction to come in the heart of the hearer. It causes motivation to come in the heart of the hearer. The anointing empowers that word to carry itself out. So if you, had, if you spoke to someone and you said, be healed in Jesus' name, you said it under the anointing, there was an unction to speak there, and God empowered that word, then that word of healing will carry itself out in that targeted vessel. All that person has to do really is let you pray for them. Open themselves up through their own faith. Let the door of faith open up into their lives And then your words will go in under the anointing and those words will carry themselves out. You don't have to worry about trying to help God and trying to help his power because all the power is right there in the word. The Bible says the word of God will never come back void. It will not come back and say it couldn't do what it set out to do. It's empowered, the word itself is empowered by God himself through the anointing. So we need to covet the anointing like nothing else. We need to fill ourselves with the word of God. We need to live in obedience to God's rules and his laws. 
because that only increases the power of God in our lives. The anointing is increased by righteousness and right living. Now, Barb, does that mean you have to do everything right? I didn't say that. But I said right living, not sloppy living like what you're talking about. You know, if you're going to question whether or not you've got to live right to serve God, we need to go back to Christianity 101. So, yes, we have to live right. And, yes, when we make mistakes, we have to repent. And, yes, we have to be sincere about the repentance and get up and start all over again and do it right the next time. So that's what right living really entails. And humble yourself to the hand of God. Let God begin to instruct you and tell you exactly what he has planned for your life. It's good to go to God without any plans of your own. That way he can fill your life up with something powerful instead of the little weak stuff that we get involved in. And so the anointing that comes on our words is the first anointing that comes to us according to what Jesus says. So he says, he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So that's really what we would call a healing of the soul first. There are a lot of brokenhearted people around. Now I'm not talking about, you know, love, having a love interest. <laughs> you can be brokenhearted because you're disappointed with bad breaks in life. You could have been abandoned as a child and be brokenhearted. There's all kinds of emotional and soulless trouble that we can have because of the way that we've had to live. But Jesus said, I came to heal that first. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Then he came to bind up our wounds. So what he said I do for you is this. Anybody come to the Lord because they were discouraged, disappointed, left behind, depressed, divorced, abandoned, whatever. Huh? I know some of y'all was born in the church, but I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about people who are converted. <laughs> really know they need God. Huh? Whatever you come to Jesus with as your first problem, he takes care of that first. He don't make you hang around until you're mature enough as a Christian to get this teaching and that teaching before you can get free. So he says he heals the brokenhearted, anybody who's discouraged broken, ashamed, uh, uh, you know, cast out, rejected, forlorn, alone. That gets healed first. And then he binds up your wounds. What does that mean? That means that anybody, you ever have a, a cut on your hand and you keep sticking it in the dishwater and it burns, you say, man, if I could get a Band-Aid, if I could bind up this wound, I could function even with hurt inside of me. Do you realize that some people have really not wholly been healed yet, but their wounds have been bound? And so they can go on and work, and they can go on and live, and they can go on and function, even with deep hurts and wounds still on the inside of them. It's almost like you don't have it. Until one day you get in a situation and you realize you're hurt, because it's been opened up again. 
And then if you go to God, it's time to get some more of that healed up because he has bound up your wounds. So you're not touchy every time somebody says something to you about or when so-and-so comes in the room, you don't go off because your wounds have been bound up. So you can, you've been bandaged. You're not as fragile anymore. You can function. You can, you can almost look like your whole. I mean, if you pull it off just right, you could fool a lot of people into thinking that you're real strong and you don't have no problems and all that good stuff. And we all been there. And we all like it there better than being the victim and being the rejected person and being the hurt person. Being the person who, you know, when you first come in church, you got to run up to the pastor and tell him what your husband did last night and it's always the same old, same old. Huh? You know, sometimes when people keep telling you that, I say, you know, I'll cut a brother. Huh? <laughs> Did you realize that? Is that what you want to do? I mean, we done prayed and God done bound up your wounds and all this kind of stuff, but maybe we just need to get the rages out. Let's go cut us a brother. Uh, tonight. Right now. Let him feel some of this pain for a change. Huh? <laughs> But you go on because you realize that won't make you happy because some of y'all have tried it. Huh? You done left a lot of brothers bleeding by the roadside. Huh? But it's a wonderful thing what the anointing does on the inside of the believer. I mean, before you even get a chance to understand who you are real good, and go forth doing the works of God yourself, that anointing has wrought a work on the inside of you. It's healed your soul. I can remember when I came to the Lord, I I had an emotional (laughs) disease. (laughs) I was depressed, clinically depressed. You know, pills, looking at possible shock treatments. You know, I mean, if you don't move real soon on the pills, they'd be moving you on to something else, man. And I remember going in the hospital with my Bible, and of course that ups the ante with them. They really ready to strap you down. You bring a Bible in there, but I didn't know any better. That Bible was my best friend. You know why? That word was alive. It spoke to me. I had read a lot of books in my life, and I read a lot of nice, pleasant stories, but this was the only book that I read. After I read it, I was better, and I was changed. I knew what was wrong with me, and I had hope that I was going to get better. So I wasn't there leaving my Bible at home. But I can remember God ministering to me. And he told me, he said, now I'm going to dry your tears. You know, that's a powerful word when it comes, when you cry all the time and you don't even understand why you're crying. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I am going to dry your tears. And I said, oh my goodness. I said, that's really what I need. I need something to dry my tears. And as he began to minister, strength began to come into me. And I began to to not be so feely, touchy, like everything. You know, Come on, if a fly goes across the room, he did it on purpose to upset you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can be that feely sometimes. You know, it's a chip on your shoulder, or, you know, ready to, to, you know, get upset with somebody. I, I was that way. 
I mean, you can't believe it now. <laughs> I could have, brother. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, but in a good way, you understand? I still cut a brother, you know what I'm talking about? But in a good way, he dried up my tears, and suddenly I got different on the inside. It was like, and I would sit and think about things that used to set me off and make me upset, and they'd like, what happened to go by me? I said, no, wait a minute. That went by too fast. I used to grab onto that and have me a real pity party, if you know. Uh, seriously. And so God healed me in such a way that I didn't notice being touchy anymore. I, it, it couldn't get... I was different. I was healed. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And I had to believe God to reconcile a marriage where my husband had told me he wanted a divorce. And every day I would expect him to say, today is the day I'm going to the lawyer. And that's what made me depressed. I was nervous all the time. And I remember the day when all of a sudden it didn't matter to me what he did. And it wasn't because I cut the brother either. Huh? <laughs> but when, when you're not moved by other people's disobedience and other people's sin, it's because Jesus Christ has come into your heart and your life and made a difference and in your soul. See, when you're not moved by somebody and you're not threatened huh, by that, then that's, your wounds are bound up. See, I'm not, you know, used to say it and I cry and want to go take some more medicine and stay in the bed for days and all that kind of stuff. And it just went past me. And it kept going past me. And then all of a sudden the brother said, well, I don't know what's happened to you reading that Bible, but I think I'm going to hang around and see how this. I mean, it intrigues people. <laughs> it gets very intriguing. But still, I had to believe God that if I were to want my marriage to work, I wasn't going to be annihilated in the process of being married to a quote-unquote mean man. You know, everybody married to somebody mean. Everybody got somebody mean in their life, you know. I mean, we all got them. But you can get meaner in God. You can get meaner in God. And what I mean when I say that is you mean to stay with God and you mean to do things God's way. And you mean to not give up on a marriage that you wanted, even though it's going south right now. You mean to hang in there. So I, I remember God giving me the scripture in Lamentations 3. It is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So I said, God, I'll take that because all I got to do is make it until night. And tomorrow morning, if I mess up all day today, tomorrow morning I get a new start, a new mercy, and you're faithful to do that every day. So I'm just going to hang around till the end of the day and see how the day went. And so from that, I just decided to take it a day at a time. Later, God showed me scripture about marriage where it says, he told me this. He said, you see this scripture here? Husbands, 
Love your wives like Christ. He said, I tell him that every day. He said, that's a command that I speak into everybody that's legally married. Husband, you better get up and love your wife like I love the church. And I thought to myself, I said, like Christ loves the church? And I looked at what we had, and I began to think to myself, I said, God, you mean you tell him that? And he don't obey you? I said, I'm praying for him to obey God. I said, well, God, you tell him to obey that scripture. Tell him to love me like Christ loves the church. And then I thought about all the things that Jesus had did. I said, now, didn't your son shed a little blood? I may not have to cut a brother after all. God might cut him, you know. But it encouraged me to go another day. He bound up my wounds. He healed my broken heart. And he encouraged me to go another day. You know, people talk about reconciliation. I have a little experience with that. We were not divorced. But it's hard living with somebody And you know that you're dependent on them because you can't take care of yourself. I couldn't work. I had been in the hospital. I was trying to recover. And then you don't know if they're going to be there for you. Every day you wonder, what am I doing this for? And, you know, is well, if he's not going to be here, I just might as well stay sick. You understand what I'm saying? And when is he going to leave? And if he leaves, am I going to get worse? And then I realized... In Philippians it says, Paul said, think on these things. I said, you mean I got a choice about what I think? And God said, yeah, think on these things. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest and lovely, trustworthy, praiseworthy and true, good report. So I started looking for good reports. In the Bible. And I would think on those things all day long. And pretty soon, it didn't matter to me what he did. I mean, at all. I had Jesus. I had my Bible. I wasn't mean to my husband. I didn't do it to get revenge. I wasn't doing it to show him he couldn't push me around and all this fleshy stuff. I did it because I loved God and he was showing me something different that was going to help my life. So I was absorbed in the business of helping my life, of stabilizing my marriage, of sowing into my marriage anyway. It didn't matter to me if he wanted the marriage or not. I wanted it. I wanted God. And God gave me promises that this was going to work out. And I believed God instead of believing him. And so as as time wore on, God gave me other promises, other things to stand on. And it grew from there. But all the while, I was thinking to myself, God, I'm going to heaven now. I can't do what I used to do. You've got to give me something different to do. And I fell in love with helping people through the Bible like God had helped me. Just loved it. I couldn't see why. I couldn't get everybody to believe Jesus, and I set about doing it in my own little way. Huh? 
you know, first you want to tell all the relatives. So you tell all the relatives, they think you're crazier than you were before. It's okay. Pretty soon they realize it's, yeah, well, she does seem a little better now that she's crazy with that Bible than she was just crazy. So, so little bit by little bit, people get convinced around you that God is real. That's what the anointing to witness does. It convinces people of the reality of God. Maybe I should have waited until I was more healed. I didn't know if I was going to get that far. All I knew is what I knew about God right then at that time. I witnessed the people. I told people about God in my building. There were Christians in the building. They were always safe to witness to. But I reached out one day and witnessed to a guy who said it was a Muslim. Huh? He was, he was up in my apartment. He had been the custodian on our building, and he wasn't the custodian anymore. But he had come by the building. His grandmother lived there. And he said he had diabetes. And I said, oh, Jesus can heal you. And he said, yeah. He said, I'm, I'm sick. I said, I know. You need something to eat now. I said, I'll give you something to eat. He said, well, you got some peanut butter and jelly? I said, yeah. And he said, uh, okay. So I fixed some peanut butter and jelly. And he started, he said, let me see, i got to move to the east, point to the east and pray. And something in me shot off like firecrackers. I said, you're a Christian. I said, you're not no Muslim. I said, didn't you grow up in the Baptist church? I said, your grandmother grows. Well, yeah, but you know, uh, the brother, I did some time when I was, I said, listen to me. Allah ain't paid for, I don't know if I said anything or I said the S word or what I said. But I told him, Allah ain't paid for blank up here in this place. You praying to Jesus or you ain't getting this peanut butter. Huh? I did that by unction. Because I found out that that thing that goes off in you. When you see a demon trying to exalt itself over the living God, is an unction. Huh? So he prayed to Jesus and got his peanut butter and got up on out of there. Hmm? But that was the way I won souls back in the day. <laughs> we were all in the kitchen. Aubrey was in the kitchen with us, and by then he knew. And so when he started praying in the east, Aubrey said, man, you on your own. He left him and me in that kitchen and shot down that we had a 25 or 50 foot hall. Was it 50 feet hallway? All the way down to the end. He was way at the other end of the hallway and left me up there with that little demon. Huh? Because he didn't want to see what was going to happen. A wimp. Huh? But God was glorified. Huh? So that for those of you who think you've got to wait until you're real mature and sophisticated in order for God to use you, just get your wounds bound up, okay? So you're not whining and bleeding all over everybody. And get some strength in you and begin to rely on God to use you because the first anointing that comes on you comes on your words. You have the anointing to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Again, preach deliverance. You preach words that set people free. They don't bind them. 
Words that bind people usually come out of denominational thought. Huh? Well, you know, you can't go to church on, you only can go to church on Saturday because that's the real Sabbath. And you can't eat meat and you can't eat this and you can't do that and you can't do the other. Those are words that bind people. They don't set people free. So if you preach deliverance to captives, you come with words that let people out of jail. The bondage of ritual and religion and trying to earn your way in God and trying to do all the things. You know, we've gotten so bad sometimes charismatic and word of faith people, we want to tell people you can't say certain things, you know, without teaching them how to use their words to get what they want in God. You know, we jump over basic salvation and tribal. Well, don't say that because that's, you know, that's going to bring a negative thing in your life, all that kind of nonsense. Just preach Jesus to people. Preach deliverance to captives. Let them know that Jesus has the answer to anything, any problem that they have. They tell you they, they're facing bankruptcy. Well, Jesus can get you out of bankruptcy. What do you need him to do? Let's pray. And so the anointing on your words will always bring deliverance and not bondage. Don't bind people up in your thing that you think makes you a super Christian. Just share Christ with people. Tell them about what a mess you were when the Lord found you. Huh? What happened to that story? Yeah, most of us have buried that a long time ago. You know, we got a Bible and a bumper sticker and we don't tell that stuff anymore but that's what gives deliverance to the captives that's what sets them free is what you what set you free will set them free as well so the anointing comes on your words it puts god's power on your words and our words do need help so the holy spirit helps our words not the reverse we don't help god he helps us Because the anointing doesn't need any help. So the Holy Spirit empowers our words. Now there are different levels of power in the anointing. So we're going to talk about what those are. The first one is a believer's level of anointing, which everybody has had, still has at some point. Even ministers operate as believers do. They they have a greater, greater level of anointing. But we all function like believers do believers are people that touch the everyday man in the everyday situations of life wherever god leads you you touch people so the levels of power go from general to specific the first level level is the believer's level of anointing <clears throat> isaiah 11:2. let me find that for you Y'all still awake a little bit? I see everybody's still struggling. I talked about cutting somebody. Everybody woke up. (laughs) The believer's words have levels and measures of the spirit of the Lord that rests upon Jesus. Okay, And it talks about the components of the anointing here. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, 
the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of what kind of understanding? Quick. Quick. God's spirit makes you of quick understanding, folks. You ever get puzzled by something or somebody asks you to do something and you want to try and figure it out and you ever just stop and hold your peace and an idea comes to you? That's quick understanding that comes from the Spirit of God. See, we draw from this stuff all the time. We just don't know what we're doing. Huh? I would much rather have a Christian who can draw from that understanding through the anointing that rests on the inside of us, that that inner one that comes upon our words. I would rather that person be able to draw from that than to go through trial and error with some so-called expert. You ever have an expert come to your house like a plumber? Well, I'm going to try this. And if this don't work, then I got this other pipe and this other wrench I'm going to work with. Huh? I mean, you're going, well, well, man, let's pray. Come on, at least God can tell you which one. I'll have all day to pay you X number of dollars an hour. It's the same thing with us, trying to draw from our expertise up in our minds, trying to be real knowledgeable about the things of God. Huh? I'd much rather draw a word of knowledge or word of wisdom, something for quick understanding. But the anointing, the Spirit of God makes you of quick understanding. You don't have to pray about something and wait for God to send an answer in airmail or something. You have quick understanding and you can get your answer right away. If you need it right away, God will give it to you right away. It's just us. We're slow sometimes in trying to believe God for ready answers to problems that are facing us right now. If you don't get a, 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 a gift of the Spirit, a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, then just go read the Bible until God speaks to you. What happened to that old-fashioned police work that we all used to do where we would just go to the word and let God talk to us and stay there until we were satisfied we had an answer so a believer's words to the level of ministry that God expects believers to do that's the extent that the anointing will come to you we have an anointing to share Christ to heal the sick Bind up the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captains, cast out devils, captives and cast out devils. These are all done starting with the power within. When power comes out on our words, then the power from on high or the anointing comes down to meet it so that it will manifest. It will meet it so that it will manifest. The power from on high is really a protective power that keeps the vessel set apart to God until the work is done. Say, for instance, when we have altar call and people want to be healed, there is an anointing that flows through the person that God has anointed. But what about 
if I get goofy and nervous and don't think God's going to do something? You think there's help for me? Of course there is. There's the power from on high that comes upon the vessel. That's the tangible anointing that most people can feel that controls the atmosphere. It keeps the vessel attentive to God's spirit and what they're doing so that everything can be coordinated and flow properly. We're not just uh, raw people touching people with no outer garment on. That outer garment really sanctifies you and sets you apart to be used by God. It's got to be there. If it's not there, you're just a person going around by feel, trying to feel like you want to go and touch somebody. Now, I've been like that too. Before God anointed me, I could, could feel like I, I just, I'm just excited about God and I just want to go touch somebody. You know, people are like that. And they think they're, they're, they have a ministry out of that. They don't have any understanding that there is a, an outer unction that must be upon you in order for you to stay set apart to God. If you came up and you decided you're going to have a healing meeting and there's no outer anointing, every person that comes in there with a devil, you get it. Everybody that comes in there with a problem, you want to cry. Everybody that comes in there with trouble, it would get into your mind and you'd sit down and try to figure out how you could. It's a mess without the outer one. You got me? Now, do you know the difference between what you do as an individual just talking to somebody and what you do as a set-apart, sanctified person with the outer covering of the anointing from on high upon you? The one upon is the one that separates the men's from the boys's. Because if you don't have that, and believers can have it, not just preachers or ministers, five-fold ministers have this, believers have it. Our friend Diana Liptak is a chaplain. She's not a five-fold ministry gift. And now the lady, when she gets up there to the altar, she'll knock you over as yielded because she knows how to yield to the power of God and she functions as a believer in her everyday life. She's accustomed to walking with God in that power and being set apart for him to use him. If you're not set apart to be used by God, the devil will get you involved in something stupid. So learn how to stay in that outer anointing. Expect that anointing from on high. Learn how to make friends with the Holy Spirit. Learn how to pray in the Holy Ghost until you feel that power come upon you. That within generates the without and you're you're protected. Now, see, people who walk in a ministry gift office are so accustomed to walking with God, they step over into it very quickly. You can be that way as a believer. You don't have to step out of the presence of God and out of the power of God. I operated as a believer for years before I ever knew I was anointed to stand in the ministry gift office. Same thing happened to me almost exactly what happened to Jesus. The day he got up to read that book, I opened my mouth one time at a Bible study. And the word of knowledge jumped out. And the word of wisdom jumped out. And God performed a miracle because of my desire. I just want to help people, God. God, if I could ever be like that, just helping people with how you've helped me. And so when I was anointed for ministry, the ministry office, 
It was after I got connected to the church. These people who run from meeting to meeting and don't have a church anywhere where they've ever been taught, trained, or ministry that they've ever been committed to, submitted to anybody, under somebody's authority, and think they're running around to get a ministry are lunatics. Because God does not operate outside of the church. And I don't mean church building. I mean church represented by the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. You've got to submit to one of those offices before God will ever generate any kind of anointing through you. People say, well, I go from church to church because they don't like my gift. I don't like it either, now that you mention it. Because it's blowing my mind. You think you're all gifted and stuff. You can't tell me of a person you healed. You can't tell me of a person you ever helped. And you're too much in the flesh. You're trying to get too much attention for your quote-unquote gift. There's one thing believers know. It's the flesh versus the spirit. You know when somebody's in the flesh. Because you've renounced yours a long time ago in order to be able to function. So, let me see. What was I talking about? About the power that comes when, once you speak the words, then the unction to speak projects down the power from on high. After the power from on high descends upon you, then you can go on speaking out of your spirit many things. For instance, you can, you can pray for several people at one time because that, that set-apart spirit has come upon you to set you apart so that God can keep you uh, where he wants you to be, ministering out of his spirit. You're disciplined into that. You don't move far out of it because you know that it's there to help you and to protect you. And it helps your helplessness. So God doesn't need any help. We're the one who needs the help. And he gives it to us by keeping us contained in that spirit. Now, there are some times where you can come out briefly, but don't play around with it too much. Like sometimes I'll be at the altar and I'll see something funny and I'll hit at somebody or say something, but I'm right back in it again. No, I'm not going to stand there and tell jokes half the afternoon and God go home. So you have to understand how to work with the spirit of God. But my thought is, I mean, your mind gets a little tired sometimes, and it wants to play. Yeah, I mean, you stand up there and you pray for people, you preach for an hour and a half, and you pray for people for another 45 minutes. Your mind is looking for a Big Mac. Your mind is looking, and you just, you know, but so you have to train yourself to stay with God so you don't come back into your natural man again. But that those two anointings work on both believers and ministry gift offices. But you have to receive it as a believer first. You are never anointed as a minister day one. You're anointed as a believer first. Because that's your training ground for the anointing. God wants to see if you love your family enough to pray for them. If you don't love your family enough to pray for them, you're not going to get compassion to pray for somebody way over in China somewhere. And you don't even like Asian people that live on your street. You know it's the truth. We all got to be trained into love and trained into accepting people. Trained into when people come in your church, 
and they're street people or there's a homeless shelter or something right down the street and they stink up the whole place. Huh? You'll be glad for the believer's training that trained you how to stay with the spirit. Huh? Remember Uncle Buck, the drunk, the family drunk? Huh? The one who thought the Christmas tree was a bathroom? I mean, there's one in every family. Huh? And you learned how to love him. You even got him a present. And you called him and told him you expected him a certain time. Of course, it was after everybody left. But you're working on it. Huh? So these two unctions, the one within and the one without, always work together. You've got to have both of them. We just can't be flesh people going up touching people because we feel something. Huh? Feeling led is probably the most abused term that we abuse. Many times people are looking for um, an outer anointing when they need to start with the words that they have on the inside of them. You know, you're looking for some big powerful thing to come into the atmosphere and wow somebody when you need to just start your, your ministering with words. Because words of faith will always bring results. You may not feel an unction from the outside. You may just have an unction within for words. So feelings are, and I'm not saying there is not an anointing from on high upon you. But sometimes it can be felt and sometimes it can't. But faith will always work whether you feel it or not. And so as long as your words are empowered, your words may be all that you'll need to help somebody. You know, you can, the spirit of counsel can rest on you. Where you can give somebody a word of counsel from God, not your advice. You know the difference. Or sometimes we get religious phrases or religious ideas that we think can work on everybody's situation. And we start passing them out to everybody, you know, like vitamin pills or something. And so you can't, that, there's no power there. You can't do that that way. I remember kind of early in, in my uh, ministry and walk with God, <clears throat> there was a gentleman that had invited us to his church. He had gone on a trip with us, one of the conferences, early conferences we had, and, and uh, he had invited us to his church. And he really was just starting his church, but his family was there. He had some adult children, maybe a teenage girl, and uh, <clears throat> they had... They had just been kind of musical kids. And he said that they had prayed, he and his wife, he said, oh yeah, we used to pray for them and we asked God, just give them songs, God, give them songs. And so they had begun to get songs and he had started letting them lead worship in the church. And so I was there ministering and he asked me while I was ministering or right after I finished ministering, he said, can you tell us anything that God is showing you that we need to do? We're expecting to grow. And God, I want to know from God if there's anything. Now, now listen to me. When stuff like this happens, 
there's an unction that's pushing him to search me for what he needs. Not her, him, 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 or him. Because advice is not what you need when you want instruction from God. You need words that are anointed and empowered so that you can move. And so I told him, I said, you know what, the Lord, I said, I believe the Lord is saying that all you need to do is fill this room up with chairs. I said, and don't let the empty chairs bug you. I said, because that'll be your faith that God is going to fill them up. I said, just take it as an act of faith. And don't get intimidated by the empty chairs. And so he just nodded, and, and, you know, that was the end of that. Well, after this, the two kids, the worship leaders, come up. We told him that. We, we told him that before. And I just looked at him. And he got angry. And he said, well, you should be happy that somebody agrees with you. And I said, it's not about me. I said, he asked me that as a minister asking another minister to draw from the spirit of counsel in God to give him God's answer. You can tell somebody something, and it can be the same thing somebody under the anointing tells them. Guess which one's going to manifest? Huh? Because people can come with their advice, and they can try to tear you down with advice, trying to tell, how dare a couple of worship leaders that used to run the streets, and he prayed them out of the streets, now they can tell him how to run his church. Huh? And I'm telling you, it's totally improper for believers to try to boss ministers around and tell them what to do. Hello? You don't run up to a minister with a prophecy and tell him God told you to tell him something. If somebody don't come to you, you don't have nothing for him. I didn't go to him offering him anything. I didn't just up and tell him. He asked me what I thought God was speaking to me, and I told him. And you know what? The chairs went in, and the chairs filled up. Because of the unction... And the office of authority for the words. Not some punk kids in your church trying to boss you around and tell you something they saw on Christian television that somebody else did and it worked for them. That's not the word of the Lord to you. You want God to tell you something to help you, you get on your own rusty knees and ask him. About picking up advice and garbage canning through other people's dumpsters, dumpster diving, trying to get stuff that'll work for your situation. You got a personal relationship with God. You can get it straight from him. You don't need secondhand stuff. That's what gets us into most of our trouble is hearing somebody else did it and we want the shortcut instead of going to God and letting him examine us See, that's why we don't want it directly from God, because he'll examine us and let us know if we're ready for that or not. Huh? But if we hear Benny Hinn did it, we can just run and try it, <clears throat> see if it works, and hope God ain't, ain't, ain't watching. But we want him to bless it anyway. So feeling led and feeling is not the same thing as the unction within. The unction within will come to you 
when by faith you open your mouth to speak the words of God. When a person has a feeling to do something, he may or may not act on it. And action takes faith, just as words do. Faith is always accompanied by an unction. It's an empowered inner moving. So people do tend to trust what's familiar, so they may trust words more, which is great because God can empower your words. That's the first thing often he will empower is your words. What we speak is what we know either by faith, experience, or desire. So when you're helping someone, say somebody is sick, you're helping them with your words either by raw faith, you know what the word says and you pray the word, experience, meaning a testimony, that you have been sick and you know what you did and God healed you and you got well. And the familiar things that we come into contact with. So your words will always draw from something that you have some kind of connection to, but it's not words out of your soul. It's not carnal words. It's very, very different. People give advice out of their souls. So when we speak as believers, we speak on the level of one who has trusted Jesus personally And we speak from personal experience or expectation. Usually, we can believe for results we have had or know that others have had. So that's by testimony. So you can minister to people by testimony. The Bible says the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus Christ, is a spirit of prophecy. So really, when you repeat What somebody, God did for somebody else, you are prophesying to them. The spirit of prophecy rests on those words and there's an unction there for that very thing to be repeated. It becomes their personal prophecy after you speak it like that. So that's how we can help people through other people's testimonies. The spirit of prophecy rests on the testimony of Jesus Christ. The different components of the anointing that come with a ministry gift office. The duties of the office are carried out by the anointing for that office. That's how a a young person who has maybe toddlers and is a pastor can give good counsel to somebody who's got teenagers. And they don't have teenagers. You do it by the spirit of counsel that comes out of your ministry gift office. All pastors have this. Teachers can get people to understand things that they probably never were able to understand before because the unction that comes out of the teacher's office brings understanding to people. Teachers can give examples that, that, you know, sometimes wear you out. You know, you're thinking, oh, where's the punchline? You know? Brother Copeland's like that. Well, you know, uh, I was standing there and I said, oh, here we go. Let me get up and go wash some dishes and come back. Huh? But as he begins to draw from that unction and that anointing, he draws every single person in that room into that story. 
And that's what an anointing does. It tries to draw as many people into it as it possibly can for maximum impact on that crowd that's there. Same thing with the apostles' anointing. Those people can get up and start things and talk people into stuff, and you look at them and you think, I wouldn't buy chewing gum from this brother. But what he says sounds pretty good. I think I'll give some into his ministry and see him do it. Man, you just get excited about what they say they're going to do. Whether they do it or not, you, you think it's great and it's wonderful. And so these, these uh, anointings that accompany ministry gift offices operate outside of personal experience. You don't have to have personal experience in anything to help somebody in your office, in your gift, in your anointing. It's wonderful. If you rely more on your anointing, you'll stay away from bad advice. Huh? You'll stay away from bad advice. Pastors who operate from advice by experience. Some of it's been good, some of it's bad, man. Give me a word of knowledge any day. Give me a word of wisdom any day. Give me somebody who's never done this before and just can tell me what does God want me to do in my situation. That's what I'm concerned about. And so the gifts of the Spirit will operate in the anointing, and those gifts are our helpers. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says the gifts are given to everyone severally to profit with all. It profits everybody. It profits the whole situation. It causes the whole situation to get better and to prosper because that's the highest form of help you can ever have is the gifts of the Spirit under the anointing. And they are there for everybody. The Holy Spirit will assure you that if you will wait for him and you will pray in the Holy Ghost and build up your most holy faith, he'll drop something down on you that's going to help that individual. You don't have to make up a prophecy. You don't have to give a thus saith the Lord. You can just have a word with an unction that will set that person free. So the anointing really always involves the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are part and parcel of the anointing. In fact, there is no anointing that's void of the gifts. They're always there. Always there. How do you know what words to speak to a person when they need to be healed? How do you know what to tell them to build their faith so that they can yield to the anointing and it can come in? And so the gifts of the Spirit operate very heavily in the anointing because the Holy Spirit being our helper is there so that we can lean on him and the anointing again needs no help. It needs no help from anybody. So in a ministry gift office, the duties of that office are carried out by the anointing for that office. Jesus helps us to meet the expectations of that office by helping us, not the other way around. The spirit of counsel allows us to speak to the needs of people without a specific experience. You can help people more for your lack of whatever you've never experienced. You've got to depend on God to help you with that one. See, And so many times the fact that you lack experience in something is an encouragement to you to trust God. And he always has a word for people. 
the spirit of might, causes our words to have power and impact. They can be believed and carried out because they are with authority. They said that about Jesus' words. He spoke as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. Well, the scribes were not anointed. It's a big difference. They were reading the same Bible that Jesus knew because he was the word made flesh. But one was anointed, the other one was not. So the scribes were not anointed with power. As a minister, it's best to rely on the anointing because it needs no help. He is our helper. The anointing is our helper. And the gifts of the Spirit work on our words to make our answers precise and accurate. So if the person will believe and respond to the word that you give them under the anointing, then they'll get the response that they need. They'll get the results that they need. The human soul draws solely from man's experience. And you can't really know if it worked or not. Huh? You really don't. You can just say what you did and you can hope it helps somebody. But your soul will always try and draw from something familiar and something of your experience. Well, God has designed a way to help that weakness that we have where you don't have the experience. Or, you know, if you tell that experience, they're going to go down the tube just like you did. Huh? Somebody comes up to you and says, well, my husband threatened to leave me. Mine did too. (laughs) I won't tell you what I did. Let's get into the word this time. I got something better than what I didn't have in my situation way back then. We got the word now. And so if you allow the word to, to be drawn from your innermost being, and the gifts of the Spirit, that will be very, very successful. You can draw from experiences as long as they line up with the Word. If they don't line up, you you need to examine them before God to see if they're permissible to share in that light. The Spirit draws from testimony, and that is God's experience with man. The soul draws from personal experience and familiarity. The soul doesn't tell if there was success or not. Mere experiences are not the anointing. That is not the spirit of counsel. When the gifts of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom are present, then the spirit of counsel is in effect. Counsel tells you what and how. If you don't get the what and the how, you're still lost. So the spirit of counsel has a word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, and it tells you what and how. The um, Rejoice Marriage Ministry that we enjoy because they're so encouraging for the testimony began after those people were reconciled. So there was a testimony of a completed path that anybody can follow, you know, but even they encourage you to seek God for your personal instruction. We can tell you he'll do it, but we can't tell you to copy exactly what we did. 
because that may not work for you. We're standing here telling you that all of our stuff put together that we did resulted in this. And God will do the same for you. He's the same God. And so it's good to to be able to get your own personal instruction from God on what to do. And the spirit of counsel will do that. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge is the spirit of counsel. So when spirit of counsel and, and in the spirit of counsel is a spirit of prophecy. So you can declare to a person what thus saith the Lord. And if they follow the instruction, then they will be able to get the results that they're looking for. And that's the wonderful thing about the anointing. So that's why the anointing doesn't need our help. Doesn't need your help from your knowledge and how mature you are as a Christian or how many books you just read on whatever subject. It just needs you to understand how to cooperate with God and work with God. That's why in the book of Joel, he says our sons and daughters will prophesy. Jesus gave gifts unto men, and part of those gifts were the nine gifts of the Spirit. The other level of anointing is that of power. And we're talking about the three power gifts of the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think it is, is where they're listed. I know y'all are hot. I am too. Just stay awake. We'll be done in a little bit. So we talked about the believer's level of anointing. Then there's a ministry gift level of anointing from Ephesians 4.11. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, the Bible refers to them as gifts also. The Bible says when Jesus descended, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? For the work of the ministry. Edification of the saints, building up the saints, training the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's why there's no such thing as a person who's anointed running around from place to place that's never been trained to do the work of the ministry by a five-fold ministry gift. And so, <clears throat> but he says in, in 1 Corinthians 12, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts, and I don't want that either. So we're not going to be. But it lists all the gifts of the Spirit. We talked about the word of wisdom and word of knowledge making up a prophecy. Those components of a prophecy. So those three gifts are what they refer to as, as um, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, are what they call revelation gifts. Those three. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits are revelation gifts. They tell you stuff. They reveal things to you that you didn't know before. The vocal gifts are tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. So if you can think about the mind of God having wisdom and knowledge, then it has to be expressed through words. So when you talk about the gifts of the Spirit working together, they have to be expressed in some way. Word of knowledge does you no good unless you can get it out of your mouth to help somebody with. 
Word of wisdom will not help you unless you can get it out of your mouth to help somebody with. So it forms a prophecy when you begin to utter it. Okay? It's a message. For instance, if somebody comes in here upset because something's misplaced, say a ring, earring is misplaced. And you know, oftentimes I don't even think about it, but I used to do it all the time. I used to ask God where it was. That's a tip-off for you, okay? That might start the gifts of the Spirit to flowing in your life. But I would routinely ask God where it was. And he would show me a picture oftentimes of where it was. And I would describe to that person where it was and where the, and it would always be there. Nowadays, I just ask God if it's mine. I say, God, show me where it is. Just lead me to it. I ain't getting up right now. But I know I'm going to get it at some point. <laughs> I get ready to go in the kitchen to get a cup of coffee or something. I'll stumble on it, but lead me to it. But see, it's still found. You understand? However you do it, it's still found. All we want is the results. I don't care if I get a picture, a prophecy, or get led by God's Spirit to where it is. It works out the same. But you can then, the vocal gifts, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy help to generate the revelation gifts. So all of these gifts work together. For instance, if I want to know something, and I'm, <clears throat> I've been thinking about getting up and cooking dinner or something like that, and that's on my mind, I've got to get that off my mind. So I'll pray in the Holy Ghost, and pretty soon it's off my mind and I get generated an answer for what I've asked God to tell me that I need to know. So tongues generates revelation. It builds up your most holy faith, and it strengthens your inner man, and it keeps you in the love of God. Why do you need to stay in the love of God? Because faith works by love. It doesn't work by fear, and it doesn't work by suspicion. It works by love. So with all this help that's in the anointing, why would we ever think that we need to have some kind of special experience doing something in order to help somebody? You can go in raw, blind, stupid almost, and pray in the Holy Ghost and just be assured that God's going to help you because this person needs help and you're the only Christian there to, to help somebody. You know, it sometimes will boil down to that. Who else would he use? He's got to use you because you're available and you're his child. And if you would learn how to use the equipment that he's given you, you can help somebody. And so that's how ministry oftentimes starts. Just simple situations. Where we're stuck and we want to help, but we don't want to rely on our brain because that got us in trouble the last time we tried to depend on it. So we learn how to operate in the spirit and understanding the anointing. The third set of, of, uh, of gifts of the spirit are the power gifts, the working of miracles, healings, and the gift of faith, special faith. Now, special faith works all the time with me in healing 
when I get people to stand up and you know that leg is broke? Huh? Now, if I'm just sitting on a bus and I'm next to you minding my business, I am not nearly so bold. Huh? Why? Because the anointing that comes upon is not the same riding on the bus as it is oftentimes in a meeting. But it can be.